Welcome to The Data Puzzle, the weekly podcast which looks at deconstructing data. I'm your host, Tim Sand. This week's episode, COVID-19, I examine the complexities surrounding patient care, vaccines, and how data management plays a key role. So stay tuned. We all have the duty to stay safe and protect those around us from COVID-19 exposure. As we know, there are several basic guidelines to follow. Wear a mask, wash your hands often and for a minimum of 20 seconds, stay at least two meters apart from others and minimize interactions with those outside of your household. Now, these are already five pieces of information, including the hand washing for us to keep track of. To add to that, Canada has released a COVID-19 exposure tracking app, which basically operates by Bluetooth. And if you have been exposed to COVID-19, what you need to do is go to the app and update that in your profile with the fact that you've been indeed exposed and have COVID-19. Again, more information for us to monitor, but for good reason. Now for myself, I also record when I'm out in the community by using a countdown app. So what I do is Every time I go out somewhere, I record where I've gone, like the store name, the location, the date, and the time. Once that 14-day period elapses, I delete the record as I know that I have not been infected, if I have indeed not been infected. It also helps to notify places where I may have visited if I did become infected during that time period. When I go out, I also use surgical gloves in addition to the mask, and I apply a hand sanitizer when I get back to my car. When I get home, I then wash my hands twice for 30 seconds just to be extra safe. Now, when you think about one person's possible interactions, it is very complex. So if we just think about this, we each live in a single household, even if we live in like an apartment where there's many families living close together. Beyond that, then we have immediate neighbors living in close proximity on the same block. They too each have their own proximity to us, for example. Beyond a city block, you then have the larger community known as a neighborhood where progressively more physical contact is possible. Beyond neighborhoods, we have cities, regions, provinces, slash states, countries, and continents. So when you think about this, there is a large number of permutations and combinations of possible encounters and possible infection. Um, so this is definitely a call to follow the medical guidelines. Now, for those who do need a COVID-19 test, there is another information uh, track that has to be followed. So if you do have to go and get a COVID-19 test, you're for sure going to have to have your healthcare card, which already has some information on it for the medical providers, like your name. It'll be also tagged to your address, province, city, postal code, have your age and gender, and uh, you'll also have to provide some form of communication method if you don't have a computer to go online and check your results. So, for example, a telephone number that someone can phone you back and give you your test results. Um, typically, I think people are going online 24 hours after tests to uh, get their results uh, in an automated fashion. So there's another piece of information that's got to be stored um, and secured online. Um, now, in addition to you as a patient going in to get a test, um, the testing center will also have to have 
information about that location that you went to, uh, the date and time that you went, and the results. Now that's just you going to a testing site and information about the testing site. Um, the people performing those tests also will have medical supplies like the swab to collect the sample and the tube to put the sample into store until it's processed. As it's processed, um, the instrumentation used and the reagents consumed uh, in the test processing will be used. And then once that test is completed and the results are known, that sample collection, uh, the contents that were collected have to be disposed of using a safe biomedical waste hazard disposal process. Um, so that's kind of around processing of the sample. Um, that information then needs to be stored in, in a secure fashion. And that doesn't matter whether it's electronically stored in a database or in a paper uh, format for that specific patient encounter. Once the results, like I said, are loaded into the database, patients can log in and check it out or they can uh, request someone phone them to give them the results. Um, now, so just to go step back a second, we have patients going to present uh, to have the sample collected, sample gets processed or in a database at a specific location. Now, the other thing that we need to look at here is at those testing centers, they have to keep supplies, right, to perform those tests. And those supplies are provided by uh, various um, uh, medical product distributors and uh, who distribute those supplies as well as manufacturers. Now, those medical products, um, in addition to the um, supplies needed to produce the test, would be things like personal protective equipment, such as surgical gloves, masks, face shields, gowns, hand sanitizers, and so forth. All of those supplies and the in inventories of those supplies also have to be tracked, right? We want to make sure that medical facilities uh, have timely delivery of those supplies so that they don't run short on either the personal protective equipment or the tools they need to collect the sample and have it processed. Um, so both product manufacturers and product suppliers need to keep records on their inventory levels with respect to manufacturing and or uh, reordering if there are suppliers that are distributing uh, that medical equipment and or supplies. Manufacturers, of course, they'll probably have an upstream supply chain as well on the raw materials that they need to consume in the manufacturing process. So to meet demand, <clears throat> raw materials, human resources, and manufacturing equipment really all need to work in unison. So um, this also assumes then that there's no one break in the manufacturing uh, supply chain whether there's a shortage of raw materials, workers, or equipment, right? So we don't want to have a breakdown in, in any of those three. So keeping accurate records around supply chain management is, is critical to that. Um, also, you think about the workers at, at any of those facilities also need to have personal protective equipment so that they in turn are kept safe. So what happens when you test positive? Well, we all are painfully aware of what happens Again, this is just to reflect on all the information uh, and communication that does happen. For example, a uh, patient has to really communicate with others that they are infected uh, so that those people can possibly go and get tested. And as I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast, there, there's really a, um, a, a wide extending scope 
of possible interactions that where many people could be potentially infected. Um, in the unfortunate event that a patient's hospitalized, um, over the course of that stay, there's going to be uh, information collected around things like the medical professionals and support, support staff who took care of the patient, what supplies they consumed during that, and whatever equipment they used. There's also going to be um, information collected on the physical space that's used um, during that patient's stay. Um, so a little bit more specifically, when we talk about um, the attending physician and, and the team that looks after the patient, there is some information that's already um, collected as part of patient care, which patients never see. Uh, it'd be things like, you know, the doctor's name, what their physician specialization, specialization is. And that information really needs to be um, tracked um, so that uh, the hospital knows who is working on which patients and when. Um, of course, there's also going to be information collected about support staff um, and information on specifically on supplies consumed, like uh, personal protective equipment or PPE, any IV solutions, testing supplies, and other supplies that might be used during that patient care. Then you think there's also information around equipment usage, such as ventilators. And then for physical space, it could be things like bed and linen supplies, you know, bed number, ward unit or floor number, hospital name, location, and so forth. So really there's five sets of, of data that's collected. There's patient information, including the medical history, information about the medical personnel that worked on the patient, including that support staff, hospital facility information, um, like location, hospital supplies consumed and, and equipment used. Now, there's probably more information um, that is collected. I'm not a medical expert by any means. So this is just my, um, my summation of what I see on the outside looking in. Now, um, hospitals definitely, as we know, track other things like um, recovery rates, people who survive and go home, lucky for them. But for the unfortunate ones that do pass, um, death rates also have to be recorded as well. And then on the, on the non-human side, as I mentioned, um, they'll also track uh, supply consumption rate and equipment utilization rate for their supply chain management. Now, in the unfortunate case that someone does die, that's a terrible thing to even think about. Families notified, and as part of that, obviously, if any of you have lost someone, you'll know that there's a death certificate that gets issued, um, and then the person's taken to a place of rest based on the individual or family wishes, as stated in a will or any other documentation. Now, when you think about funeral homes, um, I'm not sure how much people are thinking about funeral homes, but and God forbid that, um, you know, losing a loved one is a, a terrible thing. Um, funeral homes are you know, also overwhelmed during the pandemic, and they also have to, you know, make sure that their staff is protect, protected, um, and they also have to maintain supplies and keep relevant records and so forth. Now, all that information um about uh um, the person's passing is passed to um, vital statistics i'm not sure specifically what information is passed but i'm i'm sure that the government government agency does update um, the death uh, uh, database with specific specific information on the person who is 
is passed. So there's more information um, collected between uh, going to be tested and actually um, being admitted to a hospital, and that's the in-transit portion. Um, if you get there, um, uh, if, if someone that you know takes you, that's one method. But what I'm really focusing in on here from a data perspective is um, if the patient has to use an EMS or emergent or emergency medical service service, um, then there's more uh, data that's collected about that transport with that uh, ambulance number, staff, and and so forth. So that's more information yet that's collected in. That's important as well because, um, uh, of course, um, the EMS people are, are overtaxed as well with um, COVID-19 and, and uh, uh, strained as well. Um, now, the, so far, I've just been talking about um, community collection points for testing and then um, acute care medical facilities, i.e. hospitals. But, um, you know, in, in some cities, in some countries, um, cities have actually had to erect um, temporary field hospitals, which is again sad. Um, and you know, when you think about more information there required, again, um, you know, I, as I said before, there's going to be uh, information about medical supplies that are needed um, and equipment that's needed. And then there's also those technical systems uh, that are needed to capture the information, things like bed numbers, patient encounter, and so forth printers, a, a lot of different stuff. So the last thing that I, I want to cover really on the, the, um, the patient side is for COVID-19 survivors. Um, you know, hopefully those who catch COVID-19 are, are lucky enough to be living a post-COVID-19 uh, world where they don't have any uh, side effects. Uh, it's my wish for everybody who gets COVID-19 life resumes to normal and there's no after effects um, that would be the best outcome not to have any lasting effects but unfortunately we've heard many stories about people having um, post-19 post-covid-19 after effects um, things like some patients are experiencing what's been called the long tail effect after recovery and you know for those um, people and individuals there's now another um, uh, medical path that they need to go forward on as a result of, of the virus and as a result of that uh, there's more information gathering and, and community monitoring um, uh, of that information on the medical side so again more information to collect monitor synthesize and 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 respond to now in addition to the obvious potential long-tail physical effects um, which is absolutely devastating there's always the potential for mental health implications which requires again support for additional uh, medical help um, in the way of you know people that, that work in the mental health profession so again there's another stream of, of um, information that's collected and community monitoring that has to uh, happen as a result of that so the other on the flip side we have the vaccine development um, that's the other half of the the data equation and I, i'm not a medical medical expert or a medical professional 
Um, so I've, I've never worked on vaccine development. So I'm, I'm really going here by what I'm thinking are, are the, the specific data points that um, will be kept uh, as vaccines are developed. You know, the, the scientists, the medical professionals, data scientists, all those people that are working on the vaccine development will have their own knowledge repository that they'll bring with them. They'll have access to uh, medical libraries and databases on similar uh, virus strains and, and known uh, course of vaccine development uh, that have been used on similar strains in, in the past. They'll have, uh, you know, the molecular cell level uh, biology and, and, and so forth. Uh, messenger RNA, I believe, is what uh, uh, part of that as well. So, you know, they'll have a variety of instruments. They'll have um, computer programming. I'm sure they're going to have uh, machine learning by way of artificial intelligence. I'm not sure that might play into it, but lots of information and, and knowledge going into uh, vaccine development. Now, when they think that they've got a vaccine that's that they think is obviously safe and it looks like it's going to be efficacious from a prevention perspective then i think they start they're going to start doing those clinical trials and they really got to do the clinical trial as we know that's so that they can get the approval uh, for use amongst the wider uh, population so this means recruit, recruiting test subjects of wide uh wide really uh, uh, uh gender and age and uh, maybe even comorbidity background. Um, all personal data is collected and recorded, obviously. Um, and that data is really collected in what is known as a blind study, whereby the test subjects are administered either that placebo or the actual vaccine to understand the human immune response during those trials. Um, Obviously, the trials will, will determine if the vaccine is sufficiently efficacious to protect the population. It should also result in um, the uh, dosage, and, uh, quantity, and, and uh, the amount. So that information all needs to be uh, captured and, and recorded. Now, obviously, once the vaccine is approved, it can go into production in the manufacturing of the vaccine. Um, and in that manufacturing process, uh, I'm sure there's also uh, requirements around transportation, storage, and shelf life. Between the manufacturer and that local consumption point, again, we have distribution centers. Uh, they're probably part of that supply chain and transport network. And distributors uh, will need to understand things like number of vaccines uh, shipped, uh, stored in a shipment, transport uh, storage requirements, things like is there a temperature requirement, handling procedures, and how it's transported. And they'll definitely want to know time to market because especially if vaccines uh, need to get there in a, a time-sensitive fashion, they're going to want to know how long that, what's the longest um, transport point on their network. Um, now, at the point of vaccine consumption, um, Administration details will also need to be required. Now, what I mean by that is things like number of vaccines administered within a defined time interval, patient information, medical staff information, facility information, equipment information, and supply information. Now, for, for the medical supplies used, uh, vaccine vials and those syringes, including the needle, uh, in, that information has to also be recorded. 
um, there would also be a biohazard waste disposal and handling requirement of the vials containing the vaccine once that vial uh, can be discarded. So this also places an additional strain on any um, type of biohazardous waste disposal industry and, and so forth. It's a ripple effect. Now, hospitals, communities, and outpatient health centers and pharmacies may all be called upon to, uh, will all be called upon to record uh, patient vaccinations. Uh, if in doing so, really, those patient records do require updating and the patients uh, must receive notification if there's a second dose required. And I think most vaccines are multi-dose, some are single dose, but those patient records need to be kept and they need to be notified of when they need to come for that second dose. Um, and, and this all requires a connected network, right? Whether it's through the medical uh, network or, or other ways. Um, also, each vaccine dose will have its own data identification, like labels, um, you know, specific dose, where it was consumed, who administered it, and so forth. So all of this information really requires a vast amount of data management and governance in order to be effective, and that's what we're, we're going to cover next here. So from our discussion above, you can see that there's a lot of information and subsequent data shared between various private citizens, uh, medical institutions, whether it's you know hospitals, testing centers, and the like, medical personnel that are involved with patient care, uh, medical uh, supply manufacturers and distributors, including the people that have the raw goods, right? Uh, there's information from vaccine manufacturers and distributors biohazardous waste disposal companies and uh, government agencies. In all of this, effective data management plays a key role. It keeps people, processes, technologies, raw materials, and data interconnected. So how do we keep everything straight then? Well, all the information that we've talked about needs to be defined in a consistent manner um, so that medical communities that are not contiguous could potentially come together and, and share that information uh, about uh, infection rates. Because if the data is not consistently defined um, across different areas, whether it's of a, a province or a country where they're not using the same uh, systems, there could be some issues with the data. One example I always like to think about is um, the, the date field um, that systems collect. Now we know that um, date field is not always defined the same way within a system. And what I'm thinking of here is think about if uh, one, one uh, hospital or uh, medical facility or, or country, doesn't matter what level it's at, has a system where uh, the date format is perhaps uh, year month date versus uh, uh, year month date versus year, date, month, right? So you might have a case where you could be talking about July the 8th, or you could be talking about um, August the 7th. Um, that, that's a classic example. Now, if you're trying to determine uh, impact and infection rates, and you're sharing that information, that could be a problem, right? Because um, your, your data is out of sync uh, by way of um, the month and the, the day of the month being reversed. Some other things um, to look at are, uh, you know, can the system incorporate new coding requirements to track 
COVID-19 patients? I would say yes. Uh, IDC code, uh, IDC 10 code libraries is, is an example. Are those being kept up to date? How does this information get consumed for things like health insurance and other related downstream data consumption requirements? Uh, you know, what happens when a system is designed to only record uh, postal code versus zip code, or when it um, only has the ability to capture province or, or, or state abbreviations? Um, how does a patient record get created when the patients, you know, they get sick and they're not living, they're not in their, their home country? And so the medical system may not be able to capture that information and track it properly based on, on the system design. The other piece to think about is um, uh, of, you know, all the pieces of information that we've talked about, um, you know, are all, I'm, I'm certain that all of the medical terminology uh, would be defined the same um, from a, a technical uh, data architecture side. Um, there might be some discrepancies in the way um, that technical metadata has been captured. What about privacy flags? Um, you know, different countries have different um, ideas and policies on privacy, which I'll, I'll get into in a little bit. There's other things like um, data lineage, um, as you know, data is is captured from one system uh, and combined with data from another system. So part of the patient record maybe is uh, captured during the patient admission process, and then. Uh, it gets uh, flows through to another system and and so forth right um, so you know how does that information all get connected and and is there any uh, change to um, that information as it's it's passed along its journey uh, and and more importantly how does that um, system design really impact uh, uh, medical facilities ability to report their information so you know, I'm I'm leading toward I'm leading towards um, a bit of of information here around data quality. Um, you know, I mean, there there are a number of ways I think that the data quality could potentially be impacted, whether it's at point of data capture. And I'm not saying that people enter things wrong. I'm just saying that it's a theoretical possibility that that information might be captured wrong. It might be system design limitation, as I said, might only be able to take postal code and not zip code. Um, and then um, are all the data uh, quality metrics uh, defined correctly? By that I mean, if you've got to have a postal code um, uh, as part of that uh, patient encounters, so you know where they, they're coming from, um, can that be overridden and put nothing in if, if it's a patient that presents from a foreign country? So uh, things like that, right? Because uh, that's very important to tracking, especially with people uh, living in different countries and 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 that the world is so mobile nowadays. Um, so, you know, those are some things around data quality. Then we think about data storage and massive amounts of data getting collected. I'm assuming that all organizations are able to handle their their scalability requirements and they have that they have solid disaster recovery protocols uh, in place because it's definitely I mean, you don't want to lose any information, and especially not with uh, COVID-19, especially in the fact that it's evolving so quickly. Um, other things to consider, things like data protection, right? Canada has BIPEDA, US has several privacy laws, including, um, I believe it's CCPA in California, 
United Kingdom has GDPR. So how do different countries handle privacy around uh, patient information, uh, which is really uh, can get, I think, very, very complicated very quickly. Um, yeah, so you know, out of all of this, perhaps uh, one of the biggest things is, is how the analytics has been evolving you know, really the ability to collect, combine, synthesize, and synthesize that myriad of data coming from the community inside medical facilities, vaccine manufacturers, distribution networks, suppliers, and so forth. Um, and then of course, there's also analytics around those ancillary industries impacted by things like increased volume of output um, and, and so forth. So from everything that I've covered so far, you can see that um, the management of that of that data is is uh, very complicated, um, and you know I, I think that all goes kind of under the covers from the data management side, and we just assume that it, it kind of happens naturally and and um, it's not looked after. But being a data management professional myself, I I, I know the work that would have to go into something like this. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it's obviously about um, uh, keeping people alive and, and making sure that uh, the vaccine now at a point where it's getting distributed um, gets out there as fast as it can and we can really uh, minimize uh, deaths as much as possible uh, in an ideal world it go to zero. But, you know, in order to understand all of that, um, analytics is, is a key piece um, and there's going to be you know, some analytics at the local level, some aggregated, and then um, that's going to be divided kind of between the medical side and the vaccine side. So just some things I've thought about that might be important are things like number of patients admitted as a function of the patient population on a given day. This is on the medical side. Things like utilization rate of ICU beds uh, divided by the number of total hospital beds, PPE consumed as a function of patient count, rate of PPE consumption on its own, patient infection rate by locale and seasonality, PPP and ICU utilization rate as a function of patient infection rate, and survival rates by age, gender, ethnicity, and comorbidity correlation. On the um, aggregated data levels, I think we're looking at things like city, region, country, and country infection rates and, and death rates, unfortunately. Um, on the vaccine side, things like manufacturing rates, distribution rates, administration of the vaccine rate, uh, population percent population vaccinated, uh, and then probably theoretical efficacy rate, and then the actual efficacy rate. And then the last thing I'm thinking of is combined data, which is really around population response to vaccine administration as percentage of the vaccine increases through time. In other words, more people getting vaccinated isn't making, um, you know, it isn't making an impact. So, you know, most of what I've discussed in this podcast is not new information. It, I really just wanted to illustrate the complex nature of all the data that's collected, um, you know, the methods and practices, tools and techniques, um, and, you know, everything from uh, manufacturing of the raw materials uh, converting them to medical supplies, which are then uh, distributed to uh, patient care centers to help keep uh, people alive and, and get them healthy again. And of course, the vaccine 
manufacturers and, and distributors um, play a, a key role there as well. So that's it for this week's podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed listening in. Tune into the Data Puzzle weekly to hear a variety of topics in the realm of data governance and data management. Until next time, I'm Tim Sand. Bye for now.